0: and welcome to another show of don't get this twisted i am the professor and along with me today as always is my co-host tina how you doing tina hey professor how are you oh absolutely pleasant uh, you know, it's another day, another 50 cents after the tax man shakes it out of you. <laughs> Gotta love that shit. Um, hey. so today we're going to go a little on the serious route just because I think, you know, we've had a couple of fun shows here and there. It's time to get down to, uh, talking brass tacks and real life. We're going to talk addiction. Um, both, uh, I guess booze and probably narcotics. I think they're, they kind of wrap into each other. Um, yeah, it's good. It's something a little different. I know we've done some kind of a serious show, but it's time to to get back on that highway and talk about some of the bad things that are obviously going on in the world still with our lovely COVID lockdowns and addiction and suicide that we talked about before. Right. But I looked into uh a few statistics that I thought were quite interesting since we generally try to get something, um, of a scientific base or some kind of thing that we can talk about before we get into personal experiences. But I found this one and it was number one on a lot of different things that 40 to 60% of the individual's risk for addiction comes from genetics. I get that. And of course we always, you know, I've always heard, you know, mostly with alcoholism, it's some kind of it's steps. It goes from uh, grandpa to father to son and it's, it's quite prevalent. Um, it it's, it's quite scary actually that to think that, you know, even if you're someone who might have got, um, clean that you can still pass this genetic uh, marker over to them. It's, yeah. it's kind of weird.
1: And I've been told it takes three generations to break the cycle.
0: Oh shit.
1: Yeah. I've been told that a lot because addiction runs in my family. it's It's insane how how much addiction runs in my family. And um, I was always worried about that because they say if you're you know you need to think about having kids if if your you know parents were addicts or even your grandparents were addicts because you have to have three generations to completely break the cycle so that it doesn't come up for your children. I I found that kind of, I found that kind of amazing. And it always scared me to have kids because of it. But um, I was fortunate with, with my grandfather, dad, and myself, we broke that on that side, but on my mom's side, we definitely did not break that cycle.
0: I'm going to give you some, some lighthearted addiction statistics. If if you can believe that there are some they're lighthearted, but they're actually not long run. I think. Um, here's one. Smartphone addiction. Statistics find that 33% of teens aged 13 and over never turn off their phones. Wow. Never turn their phones off. 33%. That's pretty high, I think. Um, here's kind of another one. Video game addiction. Disclose that 12% of the boys and 7% of the girls are addicted to video games. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was, I mean, obviously a little, a little more lighthearted for me. The the video game one hits close to home. My son's a gamer. Um, thankfully, he's working now and, and doing things a little bit different, but that is kind of scary. And here's one more before we get, you know, too deep into it. of smokers started before they turned 18, 90%. Oh,
1: wow. 90%? Are
0: you serious? Started before they turned 18. Wow. Okay. So that's, um, and 50 million people are addicted to tobacco products. Wow. 50 million. That's a lot. That is a crap ton. (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately i i think that that's kind of dying with the newer generation um
1: i think it is in here in in the us but in other countries man you see people from other countries there smoking cigarette after cigarette like a little train
0: yeah i i know it's very prevalent in the asian community yeah um and probably the in middle I eastern mean, in, and Middle Eastern and I'm yeah. sure Europe but I think that those that hopefully changing with the younger I know my son says that it is like he finds that it's less and less and less cigarettes at least well but it's obviously, vaping now but vaping is the newer thing and still some kind of tobacco and some kind of nicotine so mm-hmm. um, what would you say from a personal standpoint of knowing do you know anyone who you would call an addict Yes. Currently, not someone who might have been in your family. I mean, outside your circle.
1: Yes. Several.
0: Hmm. That's that's interesting. What what is the um, the drug of choice or or let's say, you know, sin of choice?
1: Um, I would say it's a cross between um, pills, but then a lot of. Like we went through, um, as I was growing up, more uh, people with heroin addiction. Um, and oh. now it seems like meth. What, what the hell is this people using meth? You know, I was talking to, I have a friend that, that works. She's a drug counselor, basically. She got her master's in a, a addiction therapy. I don't remember exactly what she said, but she just came in to get her hair done the other day. So we were talking and she said somebody that has a problem with meth On average, it takes them seven tries in a rehab before they get sober from meth. Seven times it takes them. So it's amazing to me how people say, yeah, just go to the hospital and get yourself cleaned up. But it's not that easy. That's not exactly what happens. And it's a it's a crazy thing to think it takes seven times.
0: I I think we would both be surprised how long it probably takes most people to break an addiction. Um, Obviously you're an addict for life. If, Mm -hmm. if you're, once you get to that point, I think obviously there's no jumping off. You just become an addict who doesn't use anymore. You're a recoverer and you're always recovering. Um, Mostly um, that I know it would be alcohol, Mm -hmm. but um, I do know someone um, very close to me actually that, was addicted to meth and, and did get away from it and, and survived that and is now raising children and is a great person. But yeah, they had that. I mean, for a long time, I mean, she's been clean, I think 20, 20 years now, but it is wow. um scary that to think that, that something like meth or, you know, and meth is it, speed or that kind of thing. have been around for a long time. -hmm. That that, to me it seems like these drugs are definitely way stronger than maybe they were in the 50s and 60s.
1: Well, that's because now they're cutting it with fentanyl. Is it fentanyl?
0: Fentanyl, that shit is deadly.
1: It is deadly. Like, that was the thing that I was, one of the things we were talking about with my friend. She said, the fentanyl is really just, I mean, they're here today and gone tomorrow. There's no in between. There's no, it was a progressively, you know, downhill slope. No, just gone, period.
0: Yeah, and it kills you. Like, um, a small amount. Like, once you get to that, whatever that amount is over, you're dead. There is no surviving that and then and it's it's prevalent in a lot of deaths these days i know there's been some comedians there was a hockey player i just read about the other day like it's getting bad on a big level and they're putting it in everything now yes like people are putting that in marijuana that's what yeah they're lacing it in in pot um some of the comedians it was in cocaine Right. So, so I think you're you're gonna. They're cutting it. I don't know why you would cut corners and put something that was going to kill your customer in it, but lo and behold, it's happening.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't understand the whole. I don't. I guess what it comes down to is, drug addicts don't really make sense once they're addicted. Once they're on it, like they do a lot of things that don't make sense.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, <laughs> the. I know, I know a couple of people. I, you know, I my background from before is, you know, I did pro wrestling for 20 years and I was in locker rooms that had lots of pills, mm-hmm. lots of different kinds. If you needed a Vicodin, I would say you could walk into pretty much any locker room and there would be a Vicodin there. Maybe not in mass quantities but someone would probably have one. As that got further on along, SOMAs became the drug of choice. Mm. And um, mixing that with other stuff, booze, it it killed someone I know. Um, And then another friend of mine, it it was like, unfortunately it was his gateway. He got into heroin and a bunch of other things from what I understand. Um, I don't know how he died for sure um because i n- didn't know the report i never saw any of that but i know he was taking somas and a good amount it wasn't just one or two he was taking 5 6 at a time so those
1: are somas just so you know they're a very very strong muscle relaxer and they've been known to stop your heart because they're so strong and if you're taking several of them at a time and then you're mixing even a glass of wine or uh, you know a, a Vicodin it, it could be deadly real quick
0: yeah it's, it's it's quite bizarre that people will get to a point where they're taking massive amounts obviously I guess the buzz and again I, I don't know I'm kind of a I'm a layman when it comes to this you know I've taken Vicodin for actual prescri- you know prescribed to me I've, I've never done any kind of drugs I've never even done weed so for me I'm very much on the outside looking in when it comes to this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I've been around people who have done it or mostly smoking weed growing up. Obviously it was around me because friends that did it and obviously drinking, but I really never saw hard drugs. Right. To this day. And I'm an older gentleman. I've, I've never seen it in front of me ever.
1: Wow. I wish I could say that. Um, Growing up, I lived down the street from my grandmother's house, and my grandmother had 13 children. And let's just say the majority, because I don't want anybody saying that I was a liar. We'll just say the majority had an addiction problem at one point in time or another in their life, whether it be with drugs or alcohol. And because we lived down the street, we we got all of the overflow, all of the crazy that was going on ended up at our house. So, My brother and I got to see things and have a firsthand view of what addiction could do to you, which I think was the reason that neither of us really got into anything was because we saw things that that nobody should see. I I remember being 18 and I had, I, I was getting ready to get out of school and I had a bunch of friends over and we were sitting down watching TV. You know what? I may have been 17 anyway we're sitting there watching tv and i'm i'm on the floor sitting indian style and i have my book in my hand and i'm doing my homework and my friend says hey tina isn't that your aunt on cops and i look up and she's being arrested for prostitution and 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 drug possession so wow. so for me like, <laughs> that's it, close it was, to home that's very close to home uh she when i was 18 she kicked a heroin in our house in the living room. And uh, that looks like the devil's got a hold of a soul and the soul is fighting for its life. I've never seen such craziness come out of a person. I I told my friends when I was younger that it looked like almost an exorcism. Like Mm -hmm. that's how hard it was to kick heroin. And, and after watching all of that, you really you really don't want to go down that road. Like it, it was, it was pretty intense. we my brother and I had to physically get in between our aunts and uncle and, and fight them to keep our grandmother safe. Um, they burnt down the garage one time when my grandmother wouldn't give them money. Like we had a crazy life growing up. And I, my brother always says to me, you know, that's not normal teen, you know, because <laughs> yeah. for me, For me in my world, it was normal. And he keeps telling me that, like, I need to be reminded. But I think I do because it was so normal and we did see so much that it it was very normal. I I have a really good background in addiction. Um, my, My mom, when she had her brain aneurysm, she was diagnosed with a brain aneurysm and had to have surgery on her brain. They did the surgery, but she was never the same after that. I mean, it kept her alive, but she wasn't she wasn't mentally capable of being the same person that she had always been. And through the course of the 10 years that she lived after having surgery on her brain aneurysm, she also became addicted to pills. And uh, that was that was a really hard thing to watch because it got so intense towards the end of her life. Like we couldn't leave her alone. We were afraid that. She would burn herself down or burn the house down because the way she she would be so out of it. And and, you know, I remember my friend telling me this was right before she passed. Your mom put her head down to light her cigarette next to the stove and her hair caught on fire. And I had to put her out. I grabbed her by the hair and I put her in the sink and I turned the water on. And then she said, braid up my hair so that Tina doesn't find out. (laughs)
0: Wow,
1: (laughs) That's how bad. That, that it got. Now, I'm not saying that my mom was a bad person. Any anybody that knows me, I don't want to hear you saying I'm talking shit about my mother. This is my personal experience with her, and it was true. I'm not making things up. You may not have seen it. We were really good enablers, and this is just the experience that we had with her. And I'm right. sorry in advance that you don't like it. So there.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think sharing personal experiences is going to be a a much larger thing for you because most of the people probably never saw that side of her.
1: No, no, we were but, really good enablers. <laughs> well, I didn't I mean, know I didn't know that until after she had passed and, and I had time to look at how we all acted. We were the best of enablers. <laughs> we really were.
0: But family generally is.
1: If they're loyal, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, because it's hard. Nobody wants to see someone that close to you. No. going down a road like that. Obviously she came out of a surgery and got addicted to something that's, uh, I, you know, and, and again, it, it's just as bad. Uh, like I said, whether you're doing it recreationally or you've got to a point where you're doing it because you feel you have to yeah, because of whatever, it, it's still an addiction. And, and, and we as humans do the same thing where we hide something for somebody because for one, you want the people on the outside world to continue to have a great view of this person
1: absolutely
0: and I think with you know it, it's a little and i don't want to say easier with with drugs because i I think that you you go down that same road regardless, but like alcohol i think is is a really hard one to hide because you know I know people who've been on pills who, if you didn't know they can really cheat the system, right? Because uh, I have, I mean, but uh, I mean, uh, to be fair, I knew they were on pills and, and I think people questioned, it like, well, they're acting a little weird. But when you're around someone who's a drunk all the time, and I don't mean like, I mean, I, I knew someone, saying. I knew someone who used, th- that was a functioning alcoholic. Matter of fact, I worked with him. He smelled like Jack Daniels all the time (laughs) Yes, because it just poured out of him. He sweated Mm -hmm. it out, but he was functioning. Like he would go to his car and take like two sips and then come back in. Mm -hmm. So he was just doing it to keep level because if not, he would get the shakes. Um, He ended up, Mm -hmm. he ended up beating it, unfortunately, because he saw his wife die right in front of him. And, and it, and that didn't, that sobered him up, not putting him down a a different path, right? which is a whole other thing. I thought that that would have really pushed him to drink uncontrollably. And, and, um, it actually helped him. He unfortunately passed away from something else more natural, but yeah, I mean, I, I saw that I did work in it. So I did kind of work in front of somebody like that. I guess I have been around more people who were addicts than I, uh, Thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, so I'm gonna give you a story of something that actually happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh my my ex had a pit bull, and this pit bull was freaking wild. And somebody let it in the back door and it was coming for my cat. Now this pit bull had already killed a couple of my cats and I saw this coming, so I wasn't gonna let it happen. And I jumped up and literally Superman flew over to the dog and landed on top of the dog and the cat. Uh, We were able to stay. I was able to stay on the dog. The cat got out from underneath me and my my ex got everything together so that we I could get up off of the dog. When I did that, I had a big black bruise on my shin. I thought, okay, I hit myself on something, but it was so chaotic, who knew? So, a week later, I'm going to my cousin's birthday at Dave and Buster's, and my leg starts swelling up like my whole leg. By the time I got to the hospital, because I was like, I think I need to go to the hospital, something's wrong. They had to cut my pants off because my leg was ballooned in my pants. So, I ended up having to stay in the hospital for a total of eight days. From the minute I was put in the hospital, I was given uh, painkillers because it was sore, the skin blowing up that fast. Uh, So I said, can you not give me morphine because it makes my skin crawl? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Not knowing that there was something stronger than morphine. They gave me Dilaudid. And as soon as they put that in my system, I started vomiting because it's very strong. And... um, and but I felt the I felt the warmth go through my my veins like up my arm, into my chest, down into my stomach. And it kind of felt like a swirl of warmth that was going through my body, and I knew from that push of that medication, I wanted it as much as I could get it. So for eight days, every four hours they gave me my push of Dilaudid. But on the second try, I was smart because you know drug drug people that like drugs will do this. I asked them, Hey, can you give me something for nausea? Cause it made my stomach sick. So before they'd administer the drug, not give me a different drug. Um, let's, let's take something to, you know, kind of help me out with my stomach. And I did that for eight days, eight days. Those nurses were perfect. They put the drug in my vein every four hours. Um, the drug was so the strong that every day they had to move my like, the, you know, not the port, but, it, but like the, I don't know, the thing that they put in your arms so they could give you multiple drugs. Mm-hmm. They had to keep moving it because it would blow out my vein. It just would wreck my vein. So, wow. so during this eight days that I had to stay in the hospital, I thought I was sleeping with Iron Man, did not realize it was just a <laughs> Mylar balloon <laughs> that was in the room. Wow. Um, that they never checked to make sure I went number two. So for eight days that didn't happen either. I don't know if you know this, but like heavy narcotics will make you um, constipated. So I went through that and, um, and anyway, I, the night before I left, my best friend came into the hospital and, uh, she said to me, she was mad because she, she saw that I was messed up. And she asked me, are you in any pain? And I'm like, no. She goes, then why did you just tell the nurse your pain level was a 10? And I was like, I don't know. I had no wow. concept of it. So she told me that I looked like a few of my family members that she had seen really spun out of control. And she told me that I looked like them. And I took the tray and I threw it at her. She left crying what and the hell? That, I know that's totally not me, but she pissed me off because she told me I look like a couple of my family members. And
0: so, I, so you didn't like the truth.
1: I know. Are you kidding? Who would want the truth at that point? Like eight days of being in <laughs> bliss. Like you have no idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I get you.
1: So anyway, let me finish that story and I'm going to go back to the bliss. So anyway, I had to, um, they were threatening to amputate my leg and they weren't telling me what was going on. And because my friend had told me that I was acting like my family members, I, I was like, fuck this. I'm out of here. So I told my dad and my ex, my husband at the time, I said, get me out of here. And we all, I grabbed my stuff and the nurses were trying to take pictures and I was like, fuck you leave me alone. No. They ha- I had to sign out against doctor's orders And I came home because I realized that what my friend had told me was the truth. And I was just being an asshole. So I left and within a couple hours time, I started going through severe withdrawals. I was clinically addicted to the medication and I felt it with every bit of my being. So I had to call my mom's best friend because my mom was had passed at that time. And I needed somebody to, to, be there for me. And of course I'm going to call one of my moms and I called her up and she took me to the doctor and the doctor's like, your heart is about ready to blow out of your chest. You're going through severe withdrawals and gave me medication that I had to stay on until the withdrawal subsided. So anyway, going through that, I would definitely say I had an addiction to the drug because I watched the clock. I didn't, people would come to visit. Like I had so many people coming to visit. It was disgusting. And I would be like, Hey, can you move to the side? Cause I was watching the minutes pass until I could get my next fix. So this is what was going on in my room when, so my mom had passed and, and she had, she had gotten really bad at the end of her life. They were sending her to pain clinics. They were giving her medication about, I mean, just tons of meds to like where we were like, What is she taking now? Why would they give her that? Like pain, pain management places, they just give you anything you want. It seems. And Mm -hmm. that's where she was at. And, and so I remember one day I asked her, I said, why don't you love us enough to stop that? That question for me has had been in my head for years, for years with many people that I'd seen go through addiction. Like, why don't they love whomever it is enough to stop? So when I was on the dilated, I realized my brain wasn't dialed in or it wasn't connecting the way it normally had. The only thing that was connected with any sort of passion was when I was going to get my next shot. It wasn't if I was loving my husband or making sure he was okay at the time. It wasn't uh, checking on my dad to see how he was doing because he had just lost my mom like the previous year. It wasn't anything like they put that shot in my arm and all the voices and all the sadness and all the confusion that I we had dealt with my mom before her passing. Everything went silent, radio silent. There wasn't even a hum in my brain. And just the fact that everything was so quiet really was blissful. Like it, you know, when you have that much pain and that much mourning from losing somebody and the, and the way things went on, it, it was nice to have that peace. Sure. And that in that peace, I was able to look around and, and feel and see what was going on with my body and my brain. And it made me understand where my mom was at the end of her life. She. It wasn't that she didn't love us. It wasn't that she didn't care. It wasn't that it wasn't a, embarrassing to her. It was all the things that had always been. But your brain shuts off to the point where it it's not a it's not a rational thought that goes through your mind and keeps you there long enough to fix anything. It just doesn't. So it's not there. It's like they're incapable of loving on a level to stop. They're incapable of, of being good enough to themselves that they get over, you know, overcome this it's everything stops. And I don't, I don't know why the addiction with me didn't continue. Like why it didn't seek it out. Why I didn't try other things. I think, I think it was because a few people in my life would have killed me. Like my dad and my husband, that, that shit was not going to fly. But I also think I, my want to do the right thing and to, and to overcome some of the things that I've seen. I think that that's probably one of the main things, but I'm so grateful every day that I got to understand an addict's mind and not have to be an addict.
0: Right. I mean, maybe it, it, I mean, is that a personality trait? You think that you're just not, that's not your thing like i I have a fear of yeah. of um not being in control
1: right, so that's, I think that's yeah. why
0: that's why i don't I've never went down that road because i i I have a fear of not being in control and and again- it, uh, you're always an addict to something i mean people are food addicts or obviously phones now, like we said video games that kind of thing there's always something like that right but um i just think that that's not my that's just not how i'm built um so maybe i never went down that road before some people end up um hitting addiction because of uh a flagpole in their life right something happens and then that jettisons them a different way Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things i think that can lead to addiction
1: i don't i think um I'm on my dad's side growing up like the adults were very conservative and my grandparents were very religious they were Catholic and and we all were accountable to each other and I think that that in a way kind of stopped the the cycle we all stayed so close there was no way we could get away to be like that um but also I think too just watching everybody else like really on, on the other side of the family, there was so much, you could pick the story of how bad you wanted things to be. Cause there were so many levels to so many. <laughs> here, here, I'm going to tell a story. Probably won't. Nobody's going to believe this, but here it goes. So I am at the corner two blocks away from where you lived Robert, at, mm-hmm. at the big shopping center. And, uh, <laughs> My mom shows up. I'm I'm with the neighbors, and my mom shows up, and she grabs me really quick. She brings me home. She tells me to pack whatever I'm going to pack. We're in a car within 20 minutes, and we're driving out to Tehachapi. Now, Tehachapi back in those days, like 40 plus years, or let's say 40 years ago, there's nothing out there at all, and right. I I got dumped out there for three weeks. I didn't know at the time because I was so young, but somebody had called my mom and dad on several different uh, several different times and said that they knew exactly what I was wearing and uh, where I was at and described the people I was with and said he was going to cut me up and leave me in pieces all over L.A. County and they'd never be able to find my whole body. And my mom flipped out. We never found out who it was. That's not true. So we didn't know who it was, but they let me come back because after three weeks and no more phone calls, like, you know, my mom was very hesitant, but they watched me like a hawk for a while, but we didn't get any more calls. A few years later, my aunt, well, several years later, because she got, she She went when I was 18 to try to get off uh, heroin and she came to live with us. And I was sitting there drawing with her one day and she said, you know, that that was my pimp that was threatening to kill you because I had run away from him. And she goes into this whole story and tells me this whole thing. And I knew the story to some degree, but I was really young. They didn't tell me the whole thing. So I'm like, mom, come here and listen to this. So my mom comes over and my aunt tells her the whole story that she had left her pimp and this man was out to kill her and couldn't find her. Cause she had hid pretty well at this point. Cause she was trying to get off the drugs even back then. And he didn't want her off of them. And so he went after the next best thing, somebody, you know, one of her family members. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so you talk about like stories of Like how close addiction could be and how bad it could get. Like, yeah, we lived it. We definitely lived it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, that's definitely some crazy, crazy shit.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I have to say in my aunt's defense, she was one of the sweetest people you'd ever want to meet. She just I don't think she loved herself. I think all of that came from not having anybody in her corner.
0: Right. I mean, that's probably true. I mean, or she didn't never felt like anyone loved her. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think people that are in that situation that end up turning to drugs for whatever reason um, feel like that. I know that my friend had had some issues in his life that none of us knew about. At least, and I was close to him. I traveled a lot with him. But I never, it never got around to that or those deep, deep conversations. So I never really knew it. And I didn't find out about it until after his passing. Mm -hmm. So when, when we get there, you know, you, you look at things differently. Like, look, we all have some kind of skeleton. Oh yeah. Some it's a, It's a closet full of bones, and some it's just a skull in the corner. But we all have something, I think.
1: Well, and it depends. Mm -hmm. It depends on the size of the family too. You know, when I talk about my family, I've got the biggest family out of anybody I know. So when I say there's a lot of addiction, just because we have a lot of people in the family, (laughs) sure. (laughs) You know, so that I think that's part of it too, you know, but again, it depends on, on a region. It depends on, you know, um, the amount of money that people make. It seems like all of that goes hand in hand.
0: Yes. Uh, here's something that's kind of crazy since we were talking about meth as of 2017, they said 964,000 people had a, a, a use, a use disorder. In the United States.
1: 964.
0: Mm -hmm. That's like 0.4% of the population. Wow. Okay. Which, I mean, I I think is pretty good. It was 1.6 million people reported using meth. It's, that's kind of overwhelming. It's, that's a little staggering. That's a million people. Yeah, that's, Uh, I don't even know what to say about that fathom that <laughs> obviously I think with with alcohol and I think look that's a major addiction there's mm-hmm. a major major addiction I would say and it's something that is much easier to get mm-hmm. you know all you have to do is be 21 and be able to drive to the liquor store or walk to the supermarket next to you that this is what one of the other things for 2021 55% of the people report they have uh, drank alcohol in the past month. Okay. 55% of people.
1: <laughs> I'd say that's, I was one of them.
0: <laughs> no, but that's, I mean, that's, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. We're, I mean, and again, we've talked about it during the quarantine show. Like, the last two years are very. Eh, statistics are going to be very tilted in different directions, right? Because of being locked the fuck up, where you feel like a prisoner, and you're making you know bathtub gin. You know you're <laughs> like you're doing whatever you can to just get through. But I think that the alcohol addiction is is a very scary one because it's something that's not you know you don't want to drive down a back alley to get a bottle of. Jack Daniels. Yeah, that's true. So w- with that, I think that the, the next level we have to think of is like kids. Okay. So there's booze in the house. So it's much easier to sneak in the la- liquor cabinet. Unless obviously, you know, your parents have a drug problem and then finding drugs is obviously much easier. But I think that's where it would start. Like, obviously, with smoking, like we talked about earlier, most people under under 18, they start way before then. Because I think that's in a household that someone smokes. See, my mom smokes. I absolutely hated it. I've never tried it. Never will. I absolutely hate it. I hate Hmm. the smell. I hate being around it. I can I have a really sensitive nose. I can smell a smoker in a parking lot. I can oh, tell yeah. you where I can tell you which direction it's coming from. So like, I'm lucky. I, I absolutely hate that shit. I hate it. But I think that's where it starts as well. Obviously you start with, cause I think my mom who smoked my grandma smoked, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and again, that's, that's where the years is. It comes from like, she comes from the forties. So when smoking was hip, like, you know, it was, it was the cool thing to do.
1: I had a I had an aunt that used to like to smoke and she was a hairdresser. And I remember being like four or five, six when she had multiple salons and I would go with her on a Saturday and just sweep up or fold towels with her just to get out of the house. She would take me. And she used to be able to hold her cigarette and spray the hairspray with the same hand. I thought she was the most like coolest person you could ever meet. Like, who could smoke a cigarette while they're while they're spraying hairspray like that? But that was allowed. Like you could smoke everywhere, you know. So look,
0: yeah, look at when we were growing up. Yeah,
1: oh yeah. You know, in a restaurant, on an airplane.
0: On, on an, an airplane. airplane. Yes. There was a smoking section on the airplane.
1: Yeah.
0: So and I think so so let's let's kind of curve around to where it comes with those addictions. Obviously some were much easier to look at when growing up because it was the hip thing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you don't you rarely see smoking on well i don't think i you see it much at all on television Mm-mm. you you probably you you still do see it in movies and i um so that's curved back a little bit drinking obviously and then drug use is still very taboo and bad how, how do how do you think we get down this road still that we haven't we haven't learned or you know however many generations haven't learned that it's going to kill you.
1: Yeah, I don't think people really think about that at the time though. And like I said, once your, once your brain's got a taste of it and wants it, you don't have, you don't have the, you just don't care.
0: You just don't no, care. I, I get that point. But I'm, what I'm saying is that why don't you think that it's, it's tilted? Like, why didn't we stop it? Cause I think that we're, I mean, obviously we're children of the eighties where excess and cocaine was like the thing to do. (laughs) Right. But, but we didn't stop it. The next generation. So you're looking at the 30 year olds are still doing drugs and and they're doing harder drugs with, well, they're also,
1: you know, people are letting their kids vape at like 12, 13, 14. I have clients that are letting their kids vape. I can't stop them. The hell you can't. You're the Mm parents.
0: You know you now can, why would
1: you let your kid do that at fourteen? Well, it's not a cigarette. Oh, so much worse.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're look. We're again, we're not helping some of these addictions. Mm-hmm. We get phones for for kids when they're tiny. We, you know, we let them play video games. We're we're just as guilty. I I don't want to say that we're not, but with drug use for me is just a weird thing because. And I, and again, I I think that that's because I don't have that personality. So for me, it's a little bit easier to go. I don't get it. I don't understand.
1: I don't know. It's, it's, you got it. I, I watched a lot of people in my family. They just felt so bad. There was no other way. They felt that they could turn. I don't know why they felt that bad. I don't know what, made them but i think people not taking care of the skeletons that are in their closet it really adds a level of hate that they have for themselves and their family and i think that that kind of just drives things i think you need to be healthy in your mind let's face it in order to to have good decision making skills to to make the right choices to say no to things but if you got a family of addicts how do you how do you say no to that I mean, even you talked about smoking cigarettes and I thought about it. My mom, dad, and brother smoked or smoke. If there's, you know, mm-hmm. my mom's gone, but the other two still smoke. I'm the only one. So 75% of the people in my family are smokers. I I, I don't even think about that because smoking is something that we just all grew accustomed to seeing. I mean, I tell them all the time they should stop, but they they don't listen and they do their own thing because that's what they do.
0: But yeah, I I think we get to a point where they're adults and you want to tell yourself it's their choice and they're going to do it regardless where.
1: And that's true. You cannot stop an addict from wanting what they want, whether it be sex, drugs,
0: food whatever it is. Yeah, you have to want to stop. Yeah. I think that's the first step, obviously. And and with that you need to be able to get help. Like and I'll tell you and I'll we'll, we'll throw this out there. There are places to get help, and I think that's the biggest one. There's um the government actually, if you can believe this. There's um it's the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Mm-hmm. Um they have a phone number. It's 1-800-662-4357. It's literally a hotline that you can call and try to get help. It's 365 days a year treatment referral. They'll try to help you out. There are sources to help, but you got to want to help yourself or someone has to be that person and tie you up, take you out in the forest and just, you know, wean you off of this stuff in the most horrible fashion.
1: Yeah, because it don't feel good going off the drugs either. That's a that's a pain imagine. like no other. It
0: mm-hmm. is. I, I'm sure it, it has to be because you're, uh, like you said before, you're trying to exercise the demon, uh, mm-hmm. literally. And and I, I couldn't imagine and thank you know I knock on wood that um I have never had to go through anything like that. I'm I'm very lucky. Uh, I wish I would have been able to help some of my friends though. Looking back on it. Um, because people asked for help, probably not the way you would think, but calling in the middle of the night, just to talk where, yeah, you, you thought, fuck, these people are just being annoying. And, <laughs> uh, and I think it was a, a small cry for help. Mm-hmm. And, if, and it's unfortunate. You look back on it where I was like, you know, I wish I could have saved this person or helped or. Or, or taken them and smacked them around a little bit and said, Hey, it's stop. You, you know, you're a good person. you got to get past this. But there were other demons that, that were not helping.
1: It's not, it's not just addiction. If, if you look at why people do what they do, there's, there's a sexual abuse, there's a traumatic experiences, there's parents that are absent. There's so many things that is that is that. Actually, drug addiction or drug abuse is just a byproduct of it, Correct. so you know again, mental health is key like you we've really got to start working on what's bugging us on the inside so that it's not bringing other things from the outside in you know it's It's so easy to give up. it really is trust me, I know i I've watched it, I've seen it, I understand it but you can't. That's just using and becoming an addict just makes life more difficult. It doesn't fix anything. It turns off the voices in your head, but ultimately all the things that you ran from, they're still right there with you.
0: Right. I mean, thankfully, like I said, I, I've been affected a little bit, but not a ton. And it sounds like you've been affected way more. Um, You've got out. That's good. And and like I said, we've all know people that, that didn't get past this, that we had to um, say goodbye to for whatever reasons. If you know somebody who's going through something, I think it's just a, a cur- a bigger courtesy now, mostly in today's day and age because of the last two years, you, you really have to do your best to help someone. I mean, there, there is empathy to the, the people who are addicts. I mean, you, you have to have some, um, some people will never want your help. And you have See, to live I, with that.
1: I have a different opinion on that because I found that by helping addicts, I enabled them and that didn't help anybody. It made the situation worse. And then I got blamed for it because addicts are really good at that. So I find, I say things like anytime you're ready to be a human being and not have that drug control in your life, I'll be there for you. Just call me and let me know. And I'm not judging you and I'm not making fun of you. I'm just telling you I'm waiting for the day that you don't want to have that in your system anymore. And that's when I'll be there for you. Let me know. But I can't walk down the same path with you. I won't watch you kill yourself. I won't be around for it. And man, I've had to walk away where I have cried for days people that I've been so close to somebody I grew up with since the age of two had to. I had to turn away from him and it's hard because help is enabling it, you got to be really careful with an addict
0: yeah I meant that. more I meant more help like resources help yeah that, that there's help to get for them you can't enable them you can't take them in and make their situation because they'll suck the life out of you or take you down a road where the cops are knocking on your door, things like that.
1: They never hit their bottom either.
0: They don't hit it. I I see where you're You're coming from that direction. I, I meant more find a way to help them with the resources that are out there. There's, there's AA meetings or NA meetings or whatever. You, but you have to want to get there first. I think when someone asks for help, you find a way to get the resource help for them. I think that was what I was trying to say. I guess you. Yeah. Because you can't enable them. They're, that It doesn't help them. You, they have to be, they want to have to be better and get better. I think, you know, I, I'm, it, you know, we might have to revisit this and bring on someone who, who is um, in that, in that field. And I think I know somebody that I can, that I, I can.
1: Yeah, I do too. Yeah. We'll bring them both on. Let's do so, this.
0: I, I think that that's something too, and let them really talk about that because, you know, I'm only seeing it from the outside looking in and, and a very short arm distance away from somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that, that statistically, you know, looking at it from pure statistics that we talked about earlier, that there, there is a still a big problem. Mm-hmm. And, I think it's, it's bigger
1: now than it's been in the last... 10 years because of the state of affairs. Of this
0: world. Yeah, this, That's true. The state of the world. Mm-hmm. All right, miss. Well, we can call this one in the books for now. I think that, I think I agree. And, and we might have to revisit this or bring okay. somebody on that, that might have a, a, a much broader range.
1: Okay. Let's do that. Um, and before we go, I'd like to say a, so, so, this is kind of a cool thing that the professor and I are doing is we get to see where people are listening. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I would just like to say, and I'm really rather surprised that we have different uh, countries. We have Australia, India. In India, we have four different places. So shout out to India. We have listeners in England and Italy. So uh, for all of our listeners that are out of the United States, thank you so much and keep listening and please get your friends to subscribe. We'd like to see how far we could get this uh, podcast going. And for our listeners here in the United States, there's so many cool places that we're seeing um, people. Thank you, Texas and Arizona and um,
0: Virginia,
1: Virginia and California and all over. Those are just a few places. So I'd, I'd like to say thank you for listening to us and please continue. And if you, if you have any comments, we're here to take them. So let us know. And as always, you can reach us on Spotify, Google, Amazon, Apple. You can even find us on Facebook. Please listen and subscribe because we would like to continue to do this, but thank you all for listening. And, and I hope that we could continue to entertain you.
0: And on that Our opinion show is another one in the books and I always like, I like to say, you know, it's an opinion. Don't get this twisted. We're just trying to have a little fun and we'll see you or hear you or hear us whatever you'd (laughs) like to see. We'll see you in a week.